together. My name is Paul. I'm the lead pastor here, and we want to welcome you with us this morning. You know, uh, I don't know about you. I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, stories of people that go over and above, you know, that people that are able to go beyond and uh, maybe accomplish a great feat, maybe overcome something in their life, and whether that be a really good movie uh, or a really good book, maybe you like stories like that one. But how about this? We, we, we've all heard stories. We've all heard some of those stories of hard work and great accomplishments. But I wonder if the name Reza Bellucci rings a bell for you. Okay, here's why. If you don't know, in July 2021, he set out, get this, to walk 1,000 miles from St. Augustine, Florida to New York. Okay, now when I think about that, I think to myself, all right, that's a long ways to walk. But people have accomplished far greater things, right? I mean, if you've got the time to do something like that, most of us could probably, over a period of time, make a walk like that. But what if I told you that his walk was a little different? There was something very unique about this walk because it wasn't on pavement, but on water. You heard me right, all right? And and what makes Bellucci's story so great, so unbelievable, is that his goal was to walk 1,000 miles on the water. Truth be told, he actually made it 25 of those miles. And if you don't believe me, see it for yourself. This was his device. Uh, He calls it a hydropod. All right, you call it a human hamster wheel, kind of inside of this steamboat sort of contraption, something that he devised, and it really does allow a person to walk on water. In fact, here's a a selfie that Bellucci took from uh, his trip uh, from inside this particular hydropod. Evidently, though, he is getting to know the Coast Guard very well, uh, because as I told you, he never made it to New York. He only made it about 25 miles before needing to be rescued, apparently. Apparently, the Coast Guard has had to rescue him at least on a couple of occasions now. There was another time where he had a failed attempt to walk from Florida to Bermuda, and he eventually wanted to go on to Puerto Rico. The Coast Guard has threatened him with financial fees. They have threatened him with incarceration and suggested at the end of the day, get a job, right? Find something to do with your time. I made the last part up. But I'm sure we've all heard the phrase before that seeing is believing, right? Now, to, to see something is, is to believe something. Like, unless I can see it with my own eyes, there's no way that I'm going to believe it. Seeing the evidence is helpful when determining whether something is true or not. That's certainly the case with Reza Bellucci and his attempt to walk on water. I'd also expect it to be the case for the disciples. When they started hearing the news that Jesus had risen from the dead, yes, Jesus talked about, he talked about his death and resurrection, but no one understood what he meant. Like, no one went to the tomb on that first Sunday, on that Easter Sunday morning, expecting to encounter a resurrected Jesus. And that's why these face-to-face encounters with Jesus are so critical. They were so important. Like Jesus knew how important it was for his disciples to see him with their own eyes and the difference that it would make not only for them and for their faith, but certainly as they went out and lived their lives and they served in this world. We don't have the privilege of seeing the physical Jesus just yet with our own own eyes, the way the same way the disciples did, but the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he wants to make himself known to you. The great and wonderful thing about Jesus is that he wants to reveal himself to you in a powerful, life-changing sort of way, like he did with the disciples. He wants to give you faith. 
He wants to give you eyes to believe and a heart to see him for who he really is so that you can live for him in this world. Last week, uh, Steve uh, started us into John chapter 20, all right? If you've been around Genesis, if you've been following along with us, you know we've been reading John all year long. We've got a couple of weeks left in John. John chapter 20 is the story of the resurrection. Uh, 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 Excuse me, Steve walked us through uh, the resurrection of Jesus, the empty tomb. If you remember, Mary Magdalene was the first to go to the tomb. She found that it was empty for those reasons. She raced away. She went and found two of Jesus' disciples, John and Peter. When they heard the news from Mary, they raced back to the tomb to see it for themselves. Mary eventually made her way back to the tomb and the garden that it was located in. And as she stood there grieving, as John records, uh, Jesus called her by name. And because she heard his voice and because she saw him with her own eyes, she believed. And what did Jesus tell her? Well, we looked at this last week. John chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus said to Mary, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Basically, Mary, I know that you have me again. You don't want me to leave. I'm going to eventually leave, but guess what? I'm going to be around for a little bit of time, so let go of me. Uh, But go instead, he said, to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And we read that Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. And so we like to say that Mary Magdalene was the apostle to the apostles. At this point, we know that Mary's on board. And it appears, as we saw last week, that John walked away from the tomb believing as well, but we don't get any indication that he's met or encountered Jesus face to face yet. And we don't know for sure what Peter's thinking about any of it. But what about the other disciples? How did they respond when they started hearing the news that Jesus was alive? John records and John chapter 20, verse 19, he says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And so it's Sunday evening. All right, Jesus, the the empty tomb was discovered that morning, that Easter morning. It's evening now. The disciples are in the locked room, uh, potentially the upper room where they had also celebrated the the Passover feast, the Last Supper with Jesus. Uh, They're afraid. And why are they afraid? Well, when you think about it, what's preventing the Jewish leaders from hunting them down and doing to them exactly what they had done to Jesus? Like, why not squash this movement once and for all? And so they're afraid for their lives. But I want you to notice a detail that I think is pretty telling too, because John records that they were together. The disciples were together. And when you think about it, isn't it true that when life blows up, when unexpected circumstances come rushing into your life, like the temptation sometimes is to withdraw. The temptation can be to run and hide. Like when, when life isn't going the way that you'd like, we, we tend to take a step back. When we get discouraged, it's easy to want to isolate yourself. These men had just lost their closest friend, their leader. They're afraid. They're confused about where to go from here. Notice how in their waiting, notice how in their discerning and in their grief, they found strength in being together. 
Over and over again, these last few chapters of John, really these last couple of months, Jesus kept reminding the disciples to stick together. He kept saying, I want you to love one another. By this, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. They were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. We live in a challenging world. This life is difficult. It's hard. It's confusing. We're all going to go through ups and downs in our lives. Sometimes we go through these ups ups and downs together. Like some of you are going through some incredibly difficult things even right now. Can I just encourage you today? Don't do it alone. Don't isolate. Don't withdraw. Like be known. Get around some people. Don't be afraid to do life with others. Our connection group uh, met this past Sunday night for our own version of a Friendsgiving dinner, which is just an excuse to get together and eat a lot of food. And, and that's what we did. And we're going to meet again tonight. And I'm so thankful for the young men and the young women that the Lord has put in our lives. Like they mean a lot to Jenny and I, but I love watching how friendships are being formed and people are getting to know each other and supporting and caring and praying for one another. Do you have people like that in your life? And not just anyone, but people from this church family. And if not, let me just encourage you to consider taking a next step to get connected, to get involved and to be known and to be there for others so that others can be there for you. And it's not just for grownups either. Like is your high school or middle school student connected to other students here at Genesis? Like when I look back on my life. And when I think about my spiritual journey and how the Lord has worked in my life and grown me in the experiences and relationships he's given me, I, I, I think a lot about my parents and what they've done for me and the church that I grew up in. But the middle school and student high school ministry that I was a part of was one of the most important things in my life. I am so grateful for how God used the student ministry for me. I love watching how God is using the student ministry in our church. Two things we've been praying for in this Grow series. Number one is that God would grow our faith, my faith, your faith in the Lord, but we've also been praying that God would grow our church family closer and closer together through these relationships. If there's one thing we can learn from these early followers of Jesus, it's the way they stuck together. And not just on this particular day, but in the days to come, they met together, they loved one another, but there's still a really big question looming, and that is, where's Jesus? Like, who has seen Jesus? Is he really alive? Again, John said that they were in this locked room. They were there for the fear of the Jewish leaders when Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, I'm not sure how Jesus did it, all right? There's a locked room and all of a sudden Jesus is there, but hey, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, figuring out how to get him into a locked room is probably no big deal, right? So John writes that Jesus entered the room and greeted the disciples with this peace be with you. That's a Hebrew word, it's a Hebrew word shalom. You've probably heard the word before, it just simply means peace be with you. It was a standard Hebrew greeting uh, in Jesus' day and it's still today, but Dr. Gary Burge points out that this is so much more than a friendly, how you do, what have you been up to sort of a greeting by Jesus. No, Jesus' words here are meant to remind us that he has accomplished the work that he came to do, that he is God's son, the resurrected Messiah. His resurrection means that it's a new day, a brand new beginning. Therefore, you and I, we have no reason to be afraid. And in the same way that Jesus offered peace to his disciples, he offers that same peace to you and me as well well, that just as he did for his disciples, his peace means that you and I, we don't have to live in fear. 
Uh, that we don't, we don't have to be afraid of things like the future and because Jesus has conquered the grave. Like his death and resurrection uh, mean, means that it's a guarantee, it's an assurance of our salvation, of our faith in him through faith in Jesus. We can experience, you can experience God's peace as we remember that we have eternal life with God and that eternal life with God matters for today and that eternal life with God is applied for every day that is to come. His peace, he offers his peace to everyone. He offers his peace to you and me. Verse 20, John writes, after he had said this, again, he's in this room with his disciples. He showed them his hands and he showed him them there's his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, I don't know how you are about the sight of blood. All right. I, I can get a little woozy. All right. When, when I see blood, John says that Jesus showed them his wounds and the disciples were overjoyed. And he showed them his wounds as proof to demonstrate that he is who he says he is. And once again, Jesus repeats the words, peace be with you. And then notice how he begins preparing them for what's next. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And I can't help but when I think of something like this, like what, what a good friend and a good leader these disciples, these followers of Jesus had. Like he, it, it has been an emotional week. It's been an emotional weekend for them. His disciples are, Jesus is circling them back together. He wants to prove his resurrection, but he also wants to remind them what comes next and why they are here. Jesus is ready to send them out. He is ready to send them out on mission. He has been preparing these men and these women for the years, for the days, for the years that are to follow. And in the same way he is sending them out, we're reminded that it's no different for us. That, that Jesus wants you and me. He wants his church, Genesis Church, to go and do exactly what the disciples are going to do. He wants to send us out. To, to serve, that we are called in the same way to be people who love and demonstrate love, that we're here to bring light and hope into this dark world. And that's why we say here at Genesis, our mission as a church is helping people find their way back to God, that that's part of the role, all right, that, that we live out as 2 Corinthians 5 says, that if you have trusted Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, you are a new creation, you are a brand new person, and now we are invited into the work of helping others to know the good news of Jesus Christ as well. All of us, every single one of us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus, we all have a part to play. You've got a part to play. Like God has you where you are today. He has you in that place and with those people on purpose, and that applies to your school and this certainly applies to your job and your neighborhood. And again, the Lord, people the Lord has put you around. You are here. Like tomorrow for you is about sharing the hope and the love of Jesus and telling others that the, the tomb of Jesus Christ is empty. And I love hearing stories. I love hearing stories of how you are allowing God to use you, to, to be his messengers, to be his couriers of good news to this world. I, I was thinking of a couple of examples. I, I talked with a man just the other day. He doesn't go to our church, but he runs a company 
and he was thanking me for Genesis' role in two men from this church who work for his company, that work faithfully, that serve with integrity, that are really demonstrating the love of Jesus in their everyday work and their leadership and in all they're doing. Like these men are living on mission. I, I know another guy in our church who recently lost his dad. And even in his grief, he was praying that he would be able to faithfully share the good news of Jesus Christ with friends and family at his dad's funeral. Like he is a, an example of, under, of someone who understands why he's here, all right, and the role that he has been called to. I love hearing stories about our students uh, that are praying for their schools and praying and investing in their friends, you know, again, how they're reaching out to others and they wanna see like God do something special in our local schools and they want him to do it through them. Jesus sent his disciples out. He continues to send us out. He wants to send us out each and every day. In 2023, as we carry over into the next year, we're gonna study the book of Acts together. We've been in John. We're gonna flip the page to the book of Acts and together ask the question, what does it mean to live intentionally? Like, what does it mean to, to, to live for and to, to, to demonstrate the love of Jesus in this world? Like, what does it mean to be sent out for him? Back to the text, verse 22 Jesus said, or John records that with that, again, they're still in this room together. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not sure what post-resurrection breath smells like, all right, in this case. Uh, but we're talking about the glorified Jesus, so I'm sure it's not really an issue. But seriously, like when we, we think, if you, if you know your Bible at all, if you're familiar with any of these stories, when we think about the disciples and, when, and we think about the, the Holy Spirit, we tend to think Acts chapter two, all right? We think about Pentecost, and so what's going on here? Well, is this a complete filling of the Holy Spirit? Is this a partial filling of the Holy Spirit? Is this a temporary sort of filling of the Holy Spirit? Scholars have all sorts of different opinions about what's going on here in John chapter 20. But let me tell you another reason why I think John includes this detail. Remember, as we've been talking about, John uses a lot of creation language when he speaks of Jesus, especially in these last few chapters. And he talks about Jesus going into the garden, Jesus being crucified and resurrected in a garden. Many believe it's to remind Remind us of what happened in the Garden of Eden in Genesis. That's where sin and brokenness began and became rushing in. But John's point is that Jesus' death and resurrection has reversed the curse. All right, it's again a new day. It's a new creation. There's a new way, a new beginning. But there's something else because if you go all the way back to the story of creation in Genesis chapter two, when God first created, when God created the first man, we learn in Genesis chapter two, verse seven, that the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. And so in the same way that God breathed life into humanity in Genesis, we find Jesus breathing new life into his followers at the very moment their faith in him was firmly established. And so I don't know what fully happened to the disciples in the upper room, but I do know this, Jesus wasn't expecting them to walk out the door and figure it out and survive. No, he gave them the Holy Spirit, the one he described as a comforter, a counselor, and guide, and that means the Holy Spirit would be their fuel. It's the Holy Spirit that would be their power, the power behind their faithful service in this world. And the truth is when, when Jesus is the Lord of 
your life and of my life, we in the same way have God's breath, his spirit on us. We have the very same power of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit in us too. See, the Holy Spirit can be your power can be your strength as you live your life for Jesus in this world. Like that's good news, especially if you feel like you're, you're doing life alone right now or if you feel like you've got nothing more to give or you aren't sure where to go from here. Like you have God's breath. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, you have God's breath, his Holy Spirit on you and in you. And that spirit, that spirit can help you as you're uh, trying to navigate some difficult relationships right now. Like his Holy Spirit can lead you as you're trying to figure out your job and your place, especially if you're working in a place right now that doesn't value the same things that you value in this world. Like his, his spirit can give you the words and the right actions to, as you try and love some people that are really difficult to love. Maybe you're, you're trying to make some big decisions about your future. The Holy Spirit can help you, moms and dads. You have the Holy Spirit in you, the very presence of God ready to lead you and guide you and extend you grace and your kids grace as you're trying to help them live out the ways of Jesus with their life. And so not only will we be talking about our mission as followers of Jesus next year, but we're also gonna explore what it means to lean in and to depend on the Holy Spirit because he can change your life. And we believe that the Holy Spirit can, can shape our church and lead us and direct us as we, we step into the future. We also know and trust that he can change our community so that we look more and more like Jesus each and every day. And so like the disciples, we've been sent out. We've been sent out with a helper, the Holy Spirit, and with the very same message that Jesus is alive and that message is full of all sorts of implications because as Jesus continues in verse 23, he says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Those are powerful words and it's important for us to understand what they mean because Jesus isn't saying that as his followers, uh, we have the power to forgive sins because that only comes through the powerful atoning work of Jesus Christ. But what Jesus is saying is that as his messengers and through the Holy Spirit that you and I, we have the authority to announce that forgiveness of sins is possible and is available and that it comes to us through faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ. And that wasn't just a responsibility given to the disciples. It's a responsibility that has been given to you and me as well. And that's why it's important to know the gospel. It's important to know the good news and to be able to share that news with others. It's why knowing your story and being able to look back and see God's work and faithfulness in your life and even that moment when you surrendered your life to Jesus and being able to tell that and being able to share that with others is so significant. The disciples, their faith was built on something that happened. They watched Jesus die on the cross. They uh, encountered him. They encountered the, the resurrected Jesus from the dead. That's why these physical appearances were so important to catalyzing this movement because now these disciples were ready to go out and tell the world about Jesus. And many of them, in fact, are gonna give their lives on account of Jesus, of having seen the risen Jesus for themselves. In the same way, our faith, my faith and yours, is built on the truth that Jesus died on the cross 
that he is alive, that he is with God in heaven today, that he will return again one day. And while you and I have not had the privilege of seeing him with our own eyes in the same way, we believe and we live for him because in our own unique ways we have encountered and experienced the risen Jesus as well. I wanna challenge you to maybe spend some time reflecting on how you met Jesus and his work in you. And, and maybe if you've never done that before, maybe it's been a while that you've done that, to just sit back and even recall his faithfulness and grace and work in your life. Like what was it about his love that made all of the difference for you? But maybe that's not your story or that's not your story right now. Like maybe, maybe you are somebody that has trusted Christ as your savior. But if you're honest, you would say, you know what, I'm really struggling in my faith right now. I have some questions. I, I've gone through some things that have caused me to doubt or at least that difficulty to believe. Like what, what has caused you to question or doubt? Maybe you have trouble seeing or believing. But maybe for somebody here today, like maybe you want to believe but you just can't bring yourself to take that next step, to trust that these words are true, that, to trust that Jesus gave his life for you and died for you, that he rose from the dead for you. Like, if that's you, like, is there any hope? Is there any hope for somebody like you? Well, look at what John includes, because there's a unique encounter that hasn't yet happened that John includes that I think is so important and maybe maybe could make all of the difference for some of you today. Because we read in verse 24, now Thomas, also known as Dinibus, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. They went to Thomas and said, we have seen the Lord. But his response to them was, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, Thomas was one of the original 12. He is one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He had spent several years with Jesus, but somehow he missed the invitation to the party in the upper room on Easter evening. He missed, he missed out on seeing Jesus. And while he wanted to trust his friend, John, well, John helps us see some of the skepticism in Thomas and how he refused to believe unless he could see and touch Jesus for himself. And for those reasons, right, we often remember Thomas as the doubter, all right? He's the one who doubted and questioned Jesus. But is that fair? Like, is it fair that this is what we remember him for 2,000 years later, especially when you consider the fact that Thomas is credited for being the first missionary to what we know as India today? And I did a quick search this past week. According to one report, there are something like 27.8 million Christians in India just right now. I'd say he deserves a little credit for that, right? I mean, you know, why is he known as being just the doubter? But it's the doubter, right? That's what we know and remember him for. But I like this. I heard someone say that maybe a better nickname for him might be Honest Thomas. Because, I mean, after all, we're talking about believing that somebody came back from the dead. Like, how often does that happen? And when you consider all of these encounters, especially here in verse, or chapter 20, like, are his doubts and questions any different than Mary Magdalene's? Like she stood face to face with Jesus and didn't recognize him at first. And we get no knowledge that Peter believed right away. And the rest of the disciples, where were they on Easter evening? They were locked in a room. So as far as we know, nothing had really changed for them until they saw Jesus with their own eyes. My point is this, I don't know how you see Jesus right now. What your opinion is of him, what questions you have, 
or if you can't see him at all. Because if you struggle to believe it, if you struggle with faith, if you're wrestling with questions about life and God and Jesus and a resurrection, I guess what I wanna say to you is, you're not alone. We've all had questions. I still have some questions. The disciples, even those close to Jesus, struggled with questions and doubts And John wants to make sure you know there was a guy even by the name of Thomas. And I guess what I want you to hear me say and what we see in Thomas is just this, that there is a difference between refusing to believe and a willingness to believe. And I know that God can penetrate the heart of anyone, someone who refuses to believe. We've heard stories of that. Maybe that's your story. But I also know that he can do something really special in the life of someone who is struggling to believe, but willing. And I think Thomas represents someone who was willing to believe, but needed some time, needed some convincing. And would you please take note of the gracious, compassionate, understanding love of Jesus and what he was willing to do for his friend Thomas. Because in verse 26 we read, a week later, So we've had Easter Sunday, it's one week, seven days. The disciples are in the house again. Thomas is with them this time. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. And Jesus wasn't being snarky with Thomas here. He loved Thomas. He was for Thomas and he just knew what Thomas needed and he was willing to go to great lengths to meet him where he was and to give him the faith to believe. And maybe these words and this description remind you a little bit of what Jesus did for you as he was reaching you and and in that moment, what it was, what it meant for you to finally put your faith and trust in him. Look at Thomas' response to Jesus here, verse 28, as he said very confidently, my Lord and my God. You know what Jesus did for Thomas reminds me of something Jesus said about his love and the incredible lengths that he is willing to go for us. Um, It comes out of Luke chapter 15. I'll just tell you what's happening here. You're welcome to turn there if you'd like. But basically, people were asking, what's God like? What's he he think of sinners and all that? And Jesus said, can I I give you a glimpse of what God is like? He told a story. He said, I want you to think of it like a shepherd, a shepherd that's got 100 sheep. The end of the day come, and 99 of them are accounted for. One is missing. Common sense basically says file an insurance claim. Take it as a loss. What's the big deal? Why in the world would you dare risk the safety of 99 of them for the sake of one lost sheep? But Jesus, his love is pretty amazing and so great, so great that he is willing to go to incredible lengths to make sure that all of his sheep are accounted for. Jesus cares a lot about his sheep. Translated, he cares a lot about you and me. And if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, like you know and can have the confidence that he cares and cares deeply for you, he loves you. 
But if you haven't come to that place yet in your life, you haven't put your faith and your trust in him, can I please be the one today sent by God as one of his many messengers to say that he loves you too, that he is pursuing you, that this Jesus of ours, he wants to be your friend, to be your Lord and your Savior. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready to receive his love? And I don't know what you need to do in order to take that next step to be able to say, I believe. And I can't promise you that Jesus is gonna come through for you precisely in the way you think you need him to. But if we learn anything about Jesus and his post-resurrection appearances, his encounter with Thomas and this teaching about the lost sheep, it's this. He loves you and he is for you and he wants to give you faith and to be your life, and he will go to great and incredible lengths to establish a relationship with you. The 17th century mathematician, Blaise Pascal, is credited as one of the greatest minds of Western civilization. He grew up knowing about God, but it hadn't really penetrated his heart in a personal way. And then as his story goes, in a profound middle of the night experience with God, he had a change of heart that ignited not only his own faith in the Lord and Jesus, but also his desire to help others discover him too. And so Pascal began to uh, challenge, if you would, some of his fellow intellectuals to a wager on God. He would dare them to step into a belief about God and see if it didn't change their lives. In fact, Pascal would explain the wager somehow like this, that make a bet that there is a God who loves you. If you're right, you got everything to gain. If you're wrong, you lose nothing. Take a chance that God is real. I wonder if there's a challenge in that a challenge for some of you today, a challenge to those of you who would say, my heart is willing, I just can't see it yet. You haven't been able to take that next step with Jesus. And if so, my challenge to you would go something like this. Would you be willing to pray this prayer? God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. What would it mean for you today? Right now, we're gonna take a moment to pray something like this. God, if you're real, would you make yourself real to me? My heart is willing to believe. I just need that help in taking the next step. And maybe for some of you this morning, you know, you would say, I, I believe, but I'm struggling to believe right now. And maybe your prayer is something of God, reveal yourself to me once again. I need to see you for who you are. I need to know your love once again. Will you pray with me? Will you bow your head? Would you dare pray? Would you be willing to pray wherever you are right now? God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And maybe not just today, but what if you started praying that prayer each day? God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. I wonder what he might do. I wonder what lengths he might go to prove his love for you. 
Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, who lived and gave his life. You raised him from the dead. And 2,000 years later, we stand in faith on the truth and the promise that the tomb is empty, that life and forgiveness are available through Jesus Christ. Give us faith to believe. Encourage our faith all around this room right now, and not just for today, but in the days to come. And Father, I pray for that man or woman here today. I pray for that student that's here today, and they want to believe. They're just having trouble taking that next step. What you did for Thomas, would you do for them? Encourage our faith, our hope, and our trust in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.